0: We are a little bit behind on podcasts. Sorry about that. I say we. It's mainly me. It's my fault. But it's been a busy, busy couple weeks, and I had quite a bit on my plate. I was trying to prep for an upcoming hunt. Sharon got hip surgery. I was trying to be her caregiver for a few weeks there and was really backed up and also trying to maintain the daily Tasks as well. So, um, not trying to make excuses, just trying to tell you the truth. So, I've got a couple podcasts coming up after this one. The pod, there's actually two podcasts from Bear Camp, which was an awesome, awesome adventure, as it always is. Um, I go up to British Columbia for spot and stock bears uh, and have a really, really good connection up there. Uh, his name's Nick, he runs a business called Chilcotin River Outfitters, and just has amazing uh, backcountry hunting from moose, muleys, um goats pretty soon, um, possibly caribou I guess now as well, uh, and bears, and it's just an unreal adventure, so I had an awesome time in camp. I went up with several buddies, also several of my friends that have guided for me for a long time, Bert and Dusty Fillion, who guided for me all the way back when Bert had his own guiding operation. Um, They actually take vacation time now to come over and guide for us with Nick, and it was just unreal. It was really awesome. They did have They do have a satellite in camp, which is amazing. So there is Wi-Fi. Uh, However, I choose to only contact home during those trips and enjoy the disconnection from everything. I like to absorb all the hunt and try to utilize as much of my time as I can. Uh, Just being out there where I'm not going to get to be in a week's time. And I don't know. I I feel it's really refreshing for me. I can't say enough about being up there every may it's like this really unique time for me where i'm at the tail end of the spring so i've kind of got hungry again about getting out and hunting um turkeys are fun but they don't really get me amped up for you know i don't know I don't really know how to say it. I enjoy turkeys and I don't want to not do it, but I also, it's just a different kind of hunting. Once you start going and getting in the back country and having some flat tires and having your battery cables rattle off and having to, uh, push start your, your little buggy or your, I don't know. I think we're in like a Jeep sidekick or something or a Suzuki sidekick or something like that. But, being out there and having to get that going after you've broke down, it's just all that adds to the fun for me. I think it it's what makes an adventure and it's what, it seems like those are the stories that you talk about and you laugh about the most. Um, More so than, you know, remember that time when I shot that bear? Yeah, that's, you know, that might come up, but I can guarantee I'll be around a campfire with the guys that I had in this camp five years from now and And we're more likely to talk about uh, the guy that was backing the truck off the the barge the very first day, cuts the wheel too hard, and the tire slips off the ramps and just gouges out. And next thing you know, we're totally flat with the front of the truck about, I don't know, three feet from falling off into about a six-foot drop into the lake, uh, which would have surely been the end of that truck. And then on top of that, there had been so many flats coming to get us at the airport and then coming back from the airport, just random rocks that were jagged from, I guess, from the greater over the winter or whatever. But, uh, we had one spare left one, and then we originally had started with one for each vehicle and there was one spare left under all the gear. And that's what we luckily had to, uh, to get the truck rolling so that the truck and all the gear could drive to the camp and then the rest of us jumped on the boat went on the boat and i don't know the rest was history it was super awesome but just to give you a little uh i guess background on what i decided to go for on gear i thought it'd be cool before i actually get into the podcast at bear camp which i had I had to do two because we only had four microphones. So I did one with one group of guys in the morning of the last day and then one in the evening with some other guys, um, literally the night before we flew home. So you're going to enjoy those podcasts. But for me personally, I just wanted to talk about what I chose to take there for gear. As some of you know, uh, we came out with a Max 23 vein. Uh, about I don't know. I guess it's been about three weeks ago. I've been working on them for I guess about four months. Is actually I think I had some. I think I had some last September, but it was with a different base. Um, I call it a hybrid, not because of the material is hybrid, but because it. It's a vein that I think is in between some of the real low-profile target veins and the Max Stealth vein, which I've used the most and which I think is uh, possibly one of the best overall veins if you're factoring in shooting any type of broadhead. Now, the Max 23 is a reduced version of of the Max Stealth It's only 2.3 inches long. It's a low-profile vein, And what I really like about it is that it's perfect for mechanical broadheads and then also some of the more compact broadheads um, that have a little bit smaller cuts. Now, I'm shooting mine as a four-fletch with about a two-degree offset or a two-degree helical. And I really, really like it. I compared it on instagram i did some comparisons several weeks ago uh comparing it to both the four fletch of the max stealth which is a longer vein and then also a six fletch with the max 23 so i had a max 23 with a four fletch and a six fletch i think if you're a fixed blade shooter you could easily go to the six fletch and shoot almost any fixed blade head and have really good steering um But what I like about the vein is a couple things. One, the, well, these are in no particular order, but the base of the vein or the shoe of the vein is a little bit narrower than the max stealth. So, what it allows you to do, if you're shooting smaller diameter shafts, it allows you to do that six fletch and still have clearance. And if you're shooting like a four millimeter arrow, um, which I personally don't, then it does give you enough space to, to shoot those higher fletch counts. Um, I'm shooting, and I prefer the five millimeter shafts, but what I decided to put it on was the Axis. I put it on a Axis with 50 grains of brass, and I'm shooting a Axis 300 with 50 grains of brass, and I'm also shooting... The universal nocturnal knock, which is the one that has the different bushings, so that you can put it in different size arrows. Um, what I like about the the uni knock version of the nocturnals is the fit is way s- more similar to, uh, or actually the fit's the same as if you're using the standard X knock. The other nocturnals that are specific to the size, they are a little bit smaller um, in height. So your knock uh, positioning does need to be a little bit different with the older style knocks, but with the Uninox, you can keep your knocks, your knock tied knock sets, the spacing on those, the same as with the standard knock. Now, I found weight wise that with the four fletch of this Max 23. My arrow weighed right at about, it was actually 498 grains without the BAR collar, which comes standard on the knock-on arrows. And then also um, what that does is it allows me to shoot that lighted knock and have an overall weight the same as with that arrow with the the four-fletch of the Max Stealth, so My Max Stealth, they were approximately 512 grains. Um, So obviously the 14 grains difference um, kind of allows you to shoot that lighted knock and not really lose your uh, FOC. So it's been really, really good for me as a combination. I'm super happy with it. Um, Now, I'm probably going to slightly make a change for a bow that i'm going to build specific for total archery challenge however i'm going to definitely keep this setup all the way through until possibly elk season i mean i'm totally comfortable shooting this for elk because it's a heavy heavy hitting setup um but I'm going to use these axes just because they do have a slightly higher speed. I'm going to use the Axis uh, for an Axis hunt that I'm doing and then also for the early season Mule Deer hunts just because shots are a little bit longer. Um, Having that extra speed can factor in on the longer shots. But those Max 23 vanes are unreal for the Wind Drift. They just do not show the wind drift. They're ballistically, uh, in a lot of ways, they're ballistically superior to a longer fletching. And I'm really happy with them. So if you're shooting a mechanical broadhead or a compact fixed blade head, it might be something worth looking at. Um, they are on the Knock on Archery website. I know they this first batch completely sold out, um, but you can go on there and click the notify me because there will be more coming here shortly and give them a try. Um, It's easy to, this is the perfect time of year to be able to refletch some arrows and try some different fletching configurations. I've been kind of scanning through Instagram here lately and the amount of you all out there that are doing an awesome job of doing your own testing is unreal it's really refreshing to see how many of you are doing your own archery tuning now and doing your own bow setups and, and all that stuff. It's really really rewarding as someone who's doing my best to you know throw this out there. Um, there's one account, the Weekend Dads, on Instagram you had a really cool picture of multiple arrows that you have with a lot of different fletching configurations and obviously you're out there doing some homework. So that's awesome. Hats off to you, man. Um, Also, I wanted to say while I'm on that subject, hats off to everybody that's out there um, just absolutely destroying the school of knock and the progression that all of you are having is just, so rewarding for me uh saw another really cool post uh shooting the two smooth from tb76 bow hunter Um, was kind of showing some killer groups that he was shooting which is which was awesome there's just i don't know the momentum that we have as a community right now is is just really really addicting and it makes me want to continue to push the envelope On things that I'm doing and um, unfortunately some of the things that I really like to do for all of you do have to get put on hold at times right now I'm looking behind my back I've got one two three four five six seven eight eight custom builds that I have to do as favors and those take me a a day or two each to really go through them and have those bows turnkey so it's hard to uh, it's hard to do bow reviews, but then also stay on top of these two. And on top of all that, um, the Total Archery Challenge is about eight weeks away now. So I need to work on an eight-week program for all of you out there to start training for the TAC. Not only, I guess, archery-wise and shooting-wise, but really going through equipment choices I'm not totally sure right now whether or not I want to shoot a full metal jacket for the Total Archery Challenge. I may do that. A lot of people are asking why I shoot a little, or a lot of people ask, do I shoot my heavier hunting setup for um, tournament style shooting or when I'm practicing a lot? And the answer is no. Um, You know, my hunting bows aren't, the best for high repetition numbers because obviously the poundage is high. And if I'm going to shoot hundreds of arrows a day, which leading up to this tack, I certainly will uh, goal is going to be minimum of a thousand arrows. My total goal would be 8,000, um, to prep for the tack. So I'm going to probably, well, I know I'm going to probably be shooting, um, a lower spined fmj because i'm going to be shooting lower weight i'm going to be shooting in the low 60s for poundage and that's one of the reasons why i really like there's a couple things you can do one i like to take older models for people and have them just invest in some 60 pound limbs you know if you have a really good say uh rx1 hoyt that you loved last year but now you've got an rx3 or helix take that older bow and just find some some limbs for it that are low weight limbs. You can get them at a better cost, and then you've got a bow that you can really bang some reps out with and and do some tournaments without fatigue. One of the hard things for people out there that are silverback shooters and learning to keep that front shoulder forward and down is when you're shooting higher weight. It just becomes a physical thing more more so than it, you know. Even if mentally you know what to do correctly physically shooting 70-pound bow for 100 arrows a day gets really taxing, um, even for people that are just doing it constantly. So that's why for target I've always shot lower weight bows, and I feel like I have a lot more control on my shot, and also a lot more longevity of quality shots on the range. Now two of the bows that I'm strongly considering for the tack are going to be the Double XL that I got. Um, I got one that's all black that I'm. I was 99% sure that that's what I was going to take. I may possibly work with the Pro Force as well. I might build both and see how both are shooting, and maybe shoot one one day and one another day. But my plan is to shoot one um, with the new Pro Comp uh, Easton arrows, which are a very high-end arrow. Um, very specific for, you know, target shooting. However, I'm not for sure that that's going to be where I stick. Um, I, with the match grade arrows available now, any archer, any hunter has the ability to have a deadly accurate arrow because more so than the, than the design on the arrow, like for example, that pro comp is, um, A very small diameter arrow with heavier mass weight. Um, It's also shaped differently for high ballistic advantages. The same is true for like an Easton X10 or an Easton Pro Tour. These are all arrows that are, you know, probably worth about half the price of a bow, but have a really superior ballistic advantages. However, if the straightness of all these arrows are the same, then that playing field really gets leveled out a lot closer. For example, if you're shooting a standard axis arrow that's, say, 3 thousandths for straightness versus that arrow that has a 1 thousandth straightness, um, which is what you know our match-trained arrows have, The accuracy difference between those same arrows at some of these longer distances is substantial. Um, There's no question that you could take, for example, those arrows that I talked about a second ago, the Easton X10 or the Pro Tour. If those arrows were only in, say, the 3,000th straightness category, but you had an axis that was in the 1,000th, you're I would say you're most likely going to score higher with that straighter arrow even though uh the diameter and the ballistic advantages aren't as high, but the straightness the straightness is going to trump out that ballistic advantage when you're still on a fairly small diameter shaft. Now that wouldn't be the case if you were trying to compare say a 1000th straightness uh fat boy shaft versus of really small diameter shaft, you're still going to have more wind drift. But when you're talking like a three, four or five millimeter arrow shaft, the difference in accuracy is really going to show up more in the straightness value of the arrow more so um, than the actual diameter arrow or the design of the arrow. So I may take some full metal jackets and maybe get like a 400 spine and shoot that, at like, say, 60 pounds or something, probably what I'll do is um, put on one of the Elevate rests, possibly even one of the, the Freak mount ones where it's back a lot further since I won't be having a broadhead on there at all. I might bring it back further just so I can shorten my arrow overall and have a projectile that just has less overall uh, length, which really helps for crosswinds. But I think just looking at it, an FMJ with a three or four f- fletch with a max 23. Um, and what I like, the reason I'm saying an FMJ is because I love how the FMJs pull out of 3D targets. So if you're going to be training for shooting 3D targets, and if you are shooting at 3D targets a lot, It's nice to be able to uh, have an easy pull. And FMJs pull way easier than an axis on targets. So there's given, there's takes. Um, As long as the straightness values are the same for both, I may just choose uh, to do that. And I don't know if I'll shoot very high FOC. I'll just have to to see. I'll probably set one up um, just to play with. With, like, a 50 grain brass in the front, and then you know, put some like 75 grain points in there just to see how they would respond with, say, a, a standard insert, or a may, you know, and then I'll shoot like 125 grain, and then I'll shoot 125 grain points in there, and just kind of see which one starts to give me the best grouping results. And then that's what I'm going to go with, really, regardless of speed. What I really like about the total archery challenge is that. You're able to use your rangefinder, and you're not really having to worry about guessing the distance. It's way more similar to a hunting type scenario, to where you're able to get your range, make a confirmation, make sure your sight set properly, and execute a good shot. So, I don't know. We're gonna we're gonna see where I end up, but that's probably where I'm gonna go uh, in relation to carbon bows there's been several people asking why i'm shooting uh, a helix versus an rx3 i'm just shooting a helix i i actually i know there's a lot of people uh changing over to helixes uh i changed i got one i guess in december and i did that because i had already been shooting the rx3 since september so i really wanted to try the aluminum riser just to be able to have a fair comparison between the two honestly um i've been really wanting to do a bow review on these it's just coming down to to time i just i have to prioritize throughout the day and as much as i want to do it it just there's been other things that have been bumping it off off the list but um what i really like about the RX3 is obviously it's super light. It's a very quiet bow. It's definitely quieter than the RX3. It has a completely different frequency and, and um, you know shot feel to it than an RX1. And it certainly has uh, a different feel and sound to the Helix as well. Now, what I personally don't favor on the RX3 is i'm not a big fan of you know the new grip i shot it and i i like it it's okay but i also like to be able to customize my grips and a lot of the grips that i have i customize the thickness um when we you know when we worked on them i customized the thickness to really give me the tune that i want without having to adjust the grip Uh, left or right which that's one of the things that the rx3 offered was it gives you the ability to shift the grip left or right uh, depending on your natural hand position and your natural torque to still give you a straight down the pipe uh, arrow position in regards to your arrow rest Uh, but the helix is definitely heavier Uh, it's heavier to tote on the mountain that's one of the The big advantages to carbon is that it's super light, and even with a bow that's loaded with a full quiver on it, it's still going to be light in the hand. Some of the hunts that I did uh, last week were pretty taxing, um, and I certainly would have liked to have the lightest bow in my hand as possible. With that said, though, it's not like... I felt like I was holding anything too heavy. I think anyone out there that shoots PSEs or Matthews or or Botex or whatever, you know, it's not like bows are heavy right now. They're still, uh, bows are still much lighter than they used to be. So it was completely manageable. However, I will probably shoot a carbon riser when I go back to BC for moose season. Um, when it gets up there and it's really cold and you're toting that bow around in the cold, I do really prefer the carbon for that. So that's really the give or takes. There's not a, there's not going to be a difference in accuracy. The difference is in feel and having a few better bells and whistles. The same is true with really any other company. Um, I can't say, you know, I can't say that, a matthews mission isn't as accurate as a brand new you know a brand new halon or vertrix or whatever um they're they're gonna be the same in accuracy the difference is in arguably the consistency of the materials that they're made with you certainly pay more money to have limb pockets that are aluminum and have a little bit better cam system um you know, it's nice to be able to have a better roller guard system than having a straight, you know, carbon cable rod that does get dust on it and starts to chatter. Or when it gets wet, it changes impact. So there's benefits to to some of those higher end models, but if you're taking all these models out on a on a nice day and sh- you know shooting the course, I really feel like as long as you're picking a model that fits your size and your stature and your draw length and everything matches your, or puts you in the position to have the best form and the best technique. Those models are going to be just as accurate. You know, I can tell you right now that um, I can shoot this Hoyt charger. That's a third of the price. I can shoot it roughly just as accurate as I can some of these other models. Um, However, you know, if I had to take that out and get it in the rain or drive on some of those dusty roads with it, will I have less accuracy because there's, there's moisture and there's dust on this roller or on the cable guard versus having a roller guard that doesn't have that. Yeah. A hundred percent. There's going to be, there's going to be precautions that with those older style designs, you have to factor in, you know, you have to look at that as well as, Some bows that are in the lower pricing categories, the strings and cables that they put on them are a little bit cheaper material as well, which, in my opinion, that's kind of the missing link um, on all bows is the quality of the strings and cables. For those of you asking, which there's tons of you, um, I am still working on strings. Uh, I've got three uh three different people that are helping me develop this project. And it's not something that I wanted to rush through. It's something that I'm taking a methodical approach on. and I'm wanting to make sure that I do it right. And I'm, like I said before, I'll, I'll probably start out with limitations to models that I offered on and make sure that what I can put out in a higher volume, rate will be the same as what I can do when I'm doing my own strings uh, for my builds. So that's really my goal is to make sure that I'm able to offer um, a product and a a warranty and a guarantee that's better than anything else that's on the market. And until I can do that, um, they won't be available, but I can tell you that there's definitely forward progression and the machines are being made um people are being brought in and soon enough uh we're going to be able to to finalize a process and and start start hiring the right people that can do this at the quality that i have to have it at at if it's going to go out with their name on it um But yeah, if you have a good string and cable, even on some of the bows that are in the lower pricing categories, you're still further ahead. Um, I think that people, if you invest in, for sure, quality, a quality sight and a quality arrow rest, those are two huge things for any bow, regardless of the price range it's in, as well as... uh, really good strings and cables that aren't going to continually move for you. If you're doing that, then you're going to be in really good shape. So I think if you take the bow that you have, find a poundage that you're comfortable with and that you're able to to practice with and get some volume in with, then I think you're going to be further ahead than picking a bow that's a really high end bow, but maybe set up to where it's good for going out and kind of shooting a little bit in camp and and making your kill shot. There, there is a, a difference. And I think anyone who's trying to shoot a heavier weight hunting bow for true target preparation is going to struggle. And I think you're going to limit yourself on accuracy too. I think you're going to find, well, I don't think you'll find it if you don't try it what i'm saying if you're just always doing it that way i think i can see with people they start their form starts to break down their technique starts to to falter and that's gonna happen and it's actually going to happen at a higher rate when you have some other people shooting with you when you have some other people watching you when you're having to go up and down one of these mountains that's at an elevation that you haven't dealt with. And then especially if you really don't take the physical protocol uh, to prepping for these types of shoots, which is going to be certainly some of the things that I do. I'll probably alternate between some of the physical things that I want people to do versus the actual setup and then also the training. So some of these first weeks I'm probably going to say Let's first just start out shooting blah, blah, blah. You know, Here's kind of the distances I'm going to work at first. This is where I'm going to be shooting. And then I'm going to uh, kind of slowly make different tweaks on equipment and find what's right for me. And then hopefully have that really perfected. Ideally, I know 100% what I'm shooting, and I'm really comfortable with it at about... Three weeks out. Uh, 21 days is kind of my number for really being able to mentally and physically be at a peak for an event. And so I'm going to treat this the same. That's really my goal. Uh, I have a few, I have quite a bit on my plate here uh, between May and and July. So some of the stuff that I'm going to have to do will be On the road and so forth like that. But I'm going to do my best to get through it. So it's not going to be. Undisturbed training. Which I would like if I was truly competing. But it's going to. It's going to definitely be training. Nonetheless. And there's going to be a clear goal. In front of me. um, Pretty much stating. This is where I want to be. At this date. And if I can do that. If I can be polished by fourth of july weekend then i'm going to be really happy with uh with where i'm at for being ready for that total archery challenge and i i definitely want to bring all you along with me on that so there should be kind of a a new school of knock series that i'll launch um on the different social media sites as well as on the knock on archery youtube channel and i don't know i guess questions about uh Noctuits and silverbacks, there's kind of been uh, some continual batches of Noctuits coming through. They've been selling out within a few days of when they get here. So make sure you always go to the website and click on the item. And if it's out of stock, there's a box that you can check. You enter in your email and it puts you on a notify me list. As soon as inventory goes back on the website, you get hit with an email that just says they're back in stock and If you take a few days to go there and they're already gone, then you need to sign up again. For the silverbacks, there's batches of silverbacks that are being assembled, I believe now. They're not that far off for when they're gonna hit here. So if you're wanting a silverback, which I know there's a ton of you out there that are, uh, make sure you're on that list, make sure you're ready to roll because by the end of this month for sure, which is May, 2019 depending on when you're listening um you definitely need to to be ready to to click and get them when you can we used to be able to get a really large batch in and plop them all on at one time now what we're doing because the the waiting lists just continue to grow is as soon as we're getting four or five hundred we're dumping them on as soon as we're getting four or five hundred we're dumping them on and we're trying to keep up as best we can. But other than that, I hope you guys enjoy some stories from Bear Camp. I've got some awesome people coming up on those podcasts and it was an amazing it was amazing camp, amazing group. There was uh 5 of us that went and we had 9 tags. We got and we filled 9 tags. So it was unreal several of the people had never hunted uh spot and stock bears like that before and were still able to honestly follow a couple couple pointers that we talked about you know here's how you here's how you work with with uh hunting bears and i guess i can dive into that quick um with bear hunting it's very very similar to spot and stock with wild hogs the main thing is uh Bears, they do have good vision, but the vision is a little bit different. And then how they react to certain things is also slightly different. Um, But the main thing is you have to find them out feeding, which this time of year they feed for uh, short durations because they're just coming out of hibernation. Their stomach's still small. They're trying to... They're trying to feed and get their fat content back up, which these, all the bears we saw wintered really hard. Uh, they were really lean. There was no fat. Most of the meat is, uh, there was a lot of meat that, uh, was kind of, I don't know, atrophied it almost looked like just from malnutrition over the winter. It must've been really hard for the winter, but, uh, what you want to do is when you find the bears, you want to do your best to cover ground and kind of get within that 100 to 150 yards. Then from there, when they're feeding, their heads are actively moving just like a hog. When a hog's rooting around on the ground, I've always said that if a hog's ears are moving, then they're rooting and you're able to, to move at that point. Now, ideally, you want to have them facing straight away from you because the way bears are made their heads are much smaller than their bodies so when they're facing away or even quartered they can't see behind themselves especially if you compare it to like a mule deer or an antelope to where when they're walking away they're still having some vision uh quite a ways back uh so if they're facing away they're their big butts and their their necks and their bellies normally cover their eyes and you can cover ground uh i personally either go down to my bare feet or this past time we had some uh some felt uh some felt slippers that that went over our boots and i was able to use my normal boots and get within i I like to get within about 100 yards and then at that point um, depending on how far I'm moving, which today I posted a, a s- story on my Insta story showing how the fir- my first hunt unfolded. Uh, unreal black bear footage if you want to watch it. But uh, I got within that 100 yards. And then from there, I took my backpack off. I put my, uh, my felt on the bottom of my boots. I put my, uh, I put my hex on. I put my hoodie on so that I was, you know, ideally I went all the way down to my very first base layer for the climb because I had several thousand feet to get up. And then I kind of got all ready, uh, got my face mask pulled down tight, had my gloves on, and then closed that gap down to, to 42 yards. This bear was feeding beneath me, so I used the rise of the mountain as my blocker. Um, and got into position, and then when you see the shot and the camera pans over at me, you'll see that there's one pine tree on the top of this cliff. I put that one pine tree between me and the bear, and I just picked every single little tiptoe step straight at that pine tree and kept it between me and the bear regardless of where the bear was moving, and got to 42 yards and uh, made a perfect shot. With bears, the main thing is if they stop... They're looking, so you need to stop. Um, one thing that I tell people is always keep your eyes on the bear's eyes. If you can see them, they can see you. So as you're, you know, you can if you're not moving, you can look down and you can pick your steps and pick your path. But once you start to move, you also have to keep your eyes on that animal because as soon as it stops or randomly pops its head up, if you're just halfway through finishing a step that's going to be enough movement to blow the whistle and you're busted. So try to keep that blocker, make sure they're feeding and they're occupied. And, you know, if they're crunching grass and biting grass, it also helps with the sound. I tried to move when the wind gusts were the highest because it was super dry in BC. The snow melt uh, has already happened. The ground, there was several, I mean, we had 70-something degree days, no rain at all when we were there, so the ground was just ultra loud. So I really had to, to move when the wind was blowing the most and just picked those times where the bear was occupied for me to make my adjustments, check my range, and then draw my bow. So that's some tips for you. Hopefully you guys enjoy several of the podcasts coming up next week i'll be re- uh, returning and we're going to be diving into some of the gear choices for TAC. thanks everybody knock on be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy knock-on lifestyle clothing knockonarchery.com